out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. As you know, we love a special guest. This time, it is the turn of the American band. It is going to be Styx. Indeed, because I've recently caught up with keyboard player and vocalist Lawrence Gowan to find out more about life, love and poetry, as we always do. Now, they have a new album that is coming out, High Toward Crash of the Crown, and there's a new single and a tour all planned. And I do believe they're playing three, if not four, dates in Las Vegas come this September at the Venetian. Check it out. So um, this is the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, which gets edited out, we get down to that exciting subject that is um, all the stuff that is going on for the band. Anyway, this you'll find out more in the interview. This is going to be uh, Lawrence talking about what is happening and then me occasionally interjecting. Anyway, Lawrence, take it away. We got it all. We got it all going on, baby. All that in a bunch of, all that in a bunch of masks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so just briefly, I mean, this time last year, well, just 14 months ago, you know, did how how has it been for you as an artist um, dealing with this last period? Well, yeah, it, it, it's been, um, it was a, a pretty quick and drastic uh, pivot, is the expression now, uh, where, you know, our live events just disappeared overnight. Can you hear me okay, David? Yeah. Yeah, our live events disappeared overnight, and um, we basically had to begin to use this medium uh, to to, uh, to to make any contact with uh, with audiences out there. So for me, it was actually really great because uh, I got a bunch of offers to do these live streams, and I wound up doing uh, almost one a week. You know, where I usually I take a song from my solo career before I joined Sticks and do, do a version of that and put it out on social media and get a lot of great response from that. But then I started doing full concerts where uh, my son and I, my son's at home, he's a great drummer. <clears throat> we went and we went to a, like a, a completely empty theater close to Toronto. They had eight robotic cameras and we did a full concert from there. And again, that yeah, got a great audience. and. It was a great way to stay connected with people and it sounded great and it looked great and and like a lot of people we just had to like everyone we had to kind of reinvent how we connect with audiences and it went well all of that plus finishing the new sticks album um it kept me really busy yes well i i kind of know a few artists who had done quite a lot of work the year before and was planning to sort of have 2020 as a sort of like recovery, write new material. And so yeah. that for them was fine and they could really focus on that. Right. And then a few other people who had been working on something, you know, basically here's the album, now the tour and it's stopped. And I think, you know, they, that that kind of really threw quite a lot of people. And, and I suppose the other, yeah, there's been a, quite a few people who are musicians who you know, have their day job as kind of um, lecturing and being music teachers at various universities mm -hmm. and colleges, as well right. as kind of, you know, being in bands, you know, like various members who were in the Pete Murphy band who was in Bauhaus. And, and I, I think a lot of them have really kind of struggled to get that motivation back because one of them, the guitarist, we're going, look, I, I still need to re replace my strings. They've been there for six months and I haven't done it. And I need to start to have deadlines. So you sound like you've been very good at giving yourself a deadline and being driven. I, I was driven. One, I can relate to that because one of the things I had to do very quickly was uh, kind of become my own engineer <laughs> because, you know, 
uh, fortunately, <clears throat> our live sound man, who lived, the, the guy, guy I've worked with for years uh, here in Toronto, he does the, the sound for the uh, National Ballet of Canada and for the Canadian Opera. Well, they weren't working, and I had loaned a bunch of my equipment to them when I'm on tour with sticks. So that equipment all came home, and I said, great, I got it now. How do I use it? So the two of us were down my basement, you know, all masked up and everything, and he hooked me up. And then every single morning, I'd be up really early looking at some YouTube video about how you get, you know, how to engineer these things so they sound half decent. So that was that was my little going to school. And then later in the day, I'd actually give it a shot and see how it went out over the uh, over the internet. Yes, well, that's. But, my, but I will I will agree. I haven't changed my strings because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to when I play the guitar. Um, and uh, so luckily there were enough guitars around the house that I was able to kind of grab one whenever a string broke. Yeah. That's not, that's not entirely true. I did, I did look up how to change a high E string and I was able to do that with, um, with the assistance of the other two people who live here. Yeah. It took three of us. How many people does it take? For me. Yes, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yes, there's a joke about the Smiths, isn't there? There's a band in the 70s, uh, 80s who I love. Yeah, or the Smiths, and then it's like, how many, how many, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? And yeah, none because there's a light that never goes out. There's, oh. there's a track. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I, I've heard a different punchline to that, but yes, there's a light that never goes out. Even better. Even better. Yeah. So with the new album, which is obviously, it must be quite. Well, I say quite. I'm English, so I like to keep it modest. But uh, <laughs> obviously. You know, having the album because there must have been a time when you're thinking, how is this kind of narrative going to play out? Because it's a new thing for all our generations, the yeah. older generation who are saying, well, we've lived through wars, but we've never lived through anything as weird as this. Does it? Has it sort of at times gone through different sort of struggles and sort of highs and lows of, of sort of thinking, God, you know, we need this deadline, but actually, what is going to happen even if we do get it out? I think deadlines became. Um, <clears throat> very relevant, you know, relevant to what the, what the situation was and as it began to evolve. So I think we stopped thinking in, in terms of deadlines, other than just saying, how can we get this finished? And if when Universal decide it's going to come out, let's just go with what they, what they decide, let, let them worry about the, um, the, the, the marketing aspects of it and, and don't, don't necessarily paint ourselves into a corner for a deadline in that respect. But artistically, we already had about two thirds of the album done. And we really had to kind of just kind of color in that, that final third, much of which had been predetermined as to what we needed to, to do to accomplish that. And uh, I think basically over the course of the year, we thought, well, it's just so we don't lose the thread, so to speak, of where the album is supposed to be as a cohesive um, uh, statement, mm. we should at least finish it so that it's a, so it's a statement that finished that sounds like it came from this last couple, you know, few years, including this past year, yes. where a couple of new songs got written post pandemic, the rest of them were all done prior to the pandemic. I find it really astounding how, <laughs> when I look at the lyrics of them, uh, even sonically, I think this kind of, it's going to seem to a lot of people like we wrote it and we recorded it after the pandemic hit because it was very relevant to, to a lot of what was going on, or at least you could you could uh, personalize the lyrics in such a fashion. But um, as far as the deadline goes, it really came, it became obvious when, um, sorry about that, 
the, the deadline became really obvious when uh, our tour dates suddenly opened up because we're going on tour next next month, in June, starting June uh, 16th. And so the, the record company said, well, in that case, we have to put the record out to coincide with your tour. So yes. that's the deadline aspect looked after. And I noticed that, um, you know, because one of the cities I love, you know, for various reasons, it's a bit like Glastonbury, but on a bit of a different scale, is uh, Las Vegas, you know, because it's just like one massive party city. And, and, the, yeah. and the residency thing is quite interesting, because in the old days, a residency meant that you lived there for decades. Now residency is like three dates, isn't it? Yeah, that's a residency. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of just a three dates. But you, you obviously must have felt quite relieved when you got some dates in Vegas booked in September. You thought, OK, things are really beginning to sort of come back again. Yeah, I'll tell you what was best about that, actually. Um, I'm going to sound like a very immodest Canadian, but you're wondering, are people going to buy tickets? Are they going to rush back out and actually come to the show? Well, the first, we booked two nights, and they, they sold out immediately, and they thought, well, let's try a third, for a third night, make it a full residency. <laughs> <laughs> and that sold out immediately. Right. So uh, that's, a, that's a very good sign that people are... Uh, embracing the notion of getting back out there, doing whatever they can. I think the majority of them are, are uh, you know, uh, being very proactive with getting their vaccines, et cetera. I'm sure there are plenty of holdouts, and I have a feeling there'll be less of a, of a holdout when they realize, I got tickets to this show, and I could go to it if I just go get a couple of needles. <laughs> or what do you call it in England? I think you call them jabs. Or jabs, we call it the jab yeah, vaccine. Right. Yes, that combination. Yeah. Really, yes, absolutely. I think um, I'm not quite sure how that all is all going to develop in reality. But I know that Vegas is going to be is opened again as 100%, you know, yeah. you know, the casino floors and, and sort of people are booking left, right and centre. So I think there is a, a, a sort of a keenness and an obsession at the moment with getting For out sure. there. I did see a quote with somebody said, God, I'm so keen to see a band. I'd even go and see my mate's band, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that desperate yet, but yeah. <laughs> it works on so many levels, doesn't it? And it sort of... Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but with your new single, I mean, you do write the most amazing anthemic songs, don't you? Power Chordastic, isn't it? I mean, there is no sort of second measure with the band, is there? Uh, really, no. It's, it's, it's a very extroverted band personality wise and the songs are very extroverted in their pr presentation i think uh, yes you know crash in the crown the, the title track which is the one that, that, uh, that people are hearing at the moment yeah i i loved you know there's three writers on the song tommy shaw willie vankovich and myself and we all have our own kind of um vision of what of what the strength of of sticks is and for me for my little corner i i always connected to the, the, the progressive rock side of Sticks in that I took notice of the band in the 70s because they were the first band outside of the UK that were, that were using progressive rock uh, instincts or, you know, uh, they had a progressive rock leaning that was successful. Mm -hmm. there, were, there were other bands around here that were trying to do prog, um, but just fell flat because they didn't have the, the what, what, what Britain brought to pro progressive, well, it was invented in Britain, and it was best done by those bands that that um, that forged the, the the path. But Sticks were the first ones here that were really successful doing, it. and I think that's because they found a balance between the, the the progressive nature of things, but also the pop rock 
if you want to call it that, nature of things. And I think a lot of that was driven by the fact of having two guitarists that wanted to play a lot of power chords and three guys that wanted to sing at the top of their lungs and harmonize on these choruses. So I think that made it very, because the vocal intensity of the band was very um, present, much like Queen in a, in a way, I think that made all the prog side more palatable to people who were just like, I don't understand prog. So on the new song, Crash the Crown on the new album, the past two albums anyway, that side of the band, I've been able to kind of wedge that in there. And our, our producer uh, very much leans that way too. And he'd wedge that in there. And Tommy Shaw, who goes back with the band until, you know, from 1975, he, um, you know, he's constantly looking at, will this connect with a Styx audience? Is, does this have enough of the, uh, I don't know if this is a bad word or not, but does it not have enough of the commercial instincts of the band in order to make sense to an audience? So I think yeah. that's, that's a nice combination and it's present in that song. And it, it sounds like three songs jammed together, four if you want to include a couple of little musical segues. Yeah. And I like that. I like that, that it's, it's challenging to listen to and yet it's, it's very, um, it's, it's still quite engaging and you can relate to it. I yeah, think. well, it's interesting because I guess with Yes, you know, they really went off. Yeah. They? they just drifted down there. And then in the 80s, they had the two guys from Buggles and it sort of came quite over. You know, it's like it went, oh, let's, let's not go quite so off-road. And that they really brought a commercial sensibility to the band because I grew up, my, I had an older brother, this is in the 70s, who was seven years old and he was perfect for prog. So he got the lot, Yes, Genesis. Wishbone yeah. Ash, Barclay James Harvest, the solo work of Rick Wakeman, you know, yeah. it's all it's all there planted in the depths of my yeah. DNA. So I do have that kind of love of prog, but obviously it does get very, you know, topographic oceans is when it's really gone. So Styx has kind of got that element, which is kind of, it's got that that kind of that classic rock as well, which has got a married together, which I can tell from the first single. I haven't heard anything else on the album yet, but it is very much like, wow, that's good. And then you've got, you know, your classic singles as well, which have just got the lyrics that are going to be air punching the stadium tastic full, aren't they really? Exactly. Well, you've said a lot there that I really, really relate to. You know, I loved topographic oceans, but I know they lost a lot of they 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 stopped gaining as much as they were when when so we're talking about yes obviously but i love the depth of topographic oceans and really everything they've done however toward the end of the 70s i remember loving the buggles when i first heard the buggles and i got the got that living in the plastic age so i love that that you brought that into it i love what they i really enjoyed what they brought to yes although i thought they couldn't possibly bring anything if, if john anderson's not there yeah. and, and yet the life of the band kind of morphed a little bit and then John came back and then Trevor Rabin came in and all along it still sounded like yes. Uh, I think that the, the sensibility, let's call it the pop sensibility that the Buggles brought in kind of opened the door somewhat, I suppose, to the Trevor Rabin um, era of the band. I think that's very similar. That's the best analogy I can use with, with Sticks, where I came into the band 22 years ago with all of that, like your older brother, that's all my stuff, right? <laughs> Everything you mentioned, right? So, you know, I brought that along with me, plus observing the band and then having all of the live experience that I had and, and how they how they present themselves on stage. I was that we just married up perfectly in that in that regard as well. 
Yes, so. well, I, I guess with Prague, it is, you know, like punk is often argued, you know, was it New York, was it London? You know, it's yeah. like, well, let's face it, it's a bit of a blurred area and who cares? Whereas Prague is very English because there's that sensibility that there's a sort of classical music side which people like Rick Wakeman brings in. But there's also that, I suppose, the earth earthy pagan cosmic quality that John Anderson which you know the UK as you probably realize is full of kind of this historic thing with all these kind of myths and legends and then there's a kind of cosmic thing with ley lines and spiritual healing and stone oh, and so you know when you and when you've taken enough substances obviously and you've read a lot of kind of Tolkien you know you bring that into a, a song and you've got yes and uh, in a nice way and I, and I you know whereas with sticks is it's often it has that more sharper quality as well correct 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 it's 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 a there, there's more there's more everyday life in sticks music than there is but it's 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 funny where you've taken it in this direction i i did not, a solo album in 1987 and john anderson was the guest vocalist on there there's a song called moonlight desires and uh i wanted to bring as much of that uh of his you know that that kind of mindset and everything you just described into a very 80s sounding piece of music which was entirely it was all very you know all of the 80s uh, production values were all well in place in this song but we wanted to do a video for it on the mayan pyramids in mexico so when i called him he was in england and said would you like it was you know, like late february i said would you like to come to uh mexico and do your part of the song from the top of the mayan pyramid Boom. He was there in a shot. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that that larger than life, otherworldly element that Prague brings into rock. And as you said, the classical influence is in there. And it's just it's just a much broader palette to uh, to work with. And sticks yes. do it and, and sticks are able to do it and still relate eyeball to eyeball with the common man or woman. Yes. Even the daughter, because actually there is that cliche about prog, isn't it? It's, it yeah. is going to be the audience is going to be predominantly men, whereas sticks, I would imagine that the gender isn't quite so obvious. I would, I would agree with you up until a certain point. I think it flipped, David. I think honestly, I used to go to. I remember going to see Jethro Tull, and I, I think I counted three women amongst the twenty thousand people that were in the, um, yes, in the audience. That has flipped. That has changed now because I'm very friendly with the guys in Rush and because uh, I was managed by the same company for 14 years and I, they had a very predominantly male audience but that changed after when Neil uh, Peart came back into the band and they were they toured in the last uh, number of years before he left us uh, the audience became much more balanced and I with sticks the audience is very it's 50 50 you know and I think that's I think that's, I think a lot, a lot of the, the female music lovers, I think they are just a little bit late to the prog thing, but once they got it, they really got it. I, I, I'd also argue that the, I think Phil Collins in the eighties is probably the pivotal guy that brought more females into, um, into the interest in prog when he started fronting Genesis and they began to go back and see, Oh, this is what this is about. It's not just, it's not just my, my goofy boyfriend at the time that wanted to stay in his room with his headphones on all day. No, 
Ish. Selling England Ish. by the band. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. a bit of a tricky album, isn't it? But um, right. we kind of, we, we sort of persevered. I think perseverance sometimes with the, the classic 70s, in, you know, prog rock was something important. Because we're yeah. having such a illustrious career. And one thing I've noticed in the last five years has been there's been a huge amount of documentaries, you know, films on bands as well as artists, but definitely bands. I mean, has, you know, and, and with Sticks, it's got such an incredible history. Have you started to think, you know, we really need to document everything we've done because it is quite an amazing body of work? Yeah, it, it, it's quite a history to a band that's been, the band will be 50 years in existence uh, next February, uh, 2022, uh, from the time they signed their first uh, record contract. Yeah, there's more and more talk of that, and particularly after this past year that we've been in, and because people have been digging in and wanting to know more about histories of any bands that they love. And, and with Sticks, I, I think that the, the best documentary is also a little bit tabloidish at this point, which is the, uh, the behind the music things that they did, a couple of them uh, on, uh, on VH1 in the US. And the Sticks one I know was in the top 10 viewed of all time, mainly focused on, unfortunately, a lot of the animosity that existed and the, the, the intrigue between band members, et cetera. And I, I don't, I think that the spotlight goes onto that too much and not enough onto the fact that a band has been able to withstand, you know, what, what is normally a very short span of time that a band exists. These classic rock bands to, to have been around for half a century is really a testament to the, um, the, the importance, if I can use that as, as a way of, of this music over the last half of the 20th century and well into this millennium. So I think documentaries are well warranted at this point. Yes, absolutely. And your own, your own very early background. You were born in Scotland, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm from Glasgow, from Glasgow. And, and a typical story in, in a lot of ways. My parents moved from, my dad's from Northern Ireland. My mom's from Glasgow. I was born there. Early in life, we came to uh, to Canada. He really liked Toronto, and then growing up, uh, you know, here I'm going to compare myself to your older brother, who I don't know, <laughs> because, but all those British influences were very predominant in Canada at that time, mm. particularly in, in the part of Toronto where I grew up. So, you know, uh, that that was all part of our part, part of my existence. So for me whenever I get a chance to go back and play in Britain, and I have on a few occasions, in the, particularly in the 90s, I got a chance to open for the Stranglers on their national tour, just myself on piano. Uh, I played at the opening of Princess Diana's Memorial at Althorpe, you know, with the BBC Orchestra, an original piece I'd written that um, her family really liked. Uh, and I've had, and then a couple of years ago to go and play the London Palladium with Sticks. Right. These are really important, you know, th these are, familial things to me where I, I feel every time I'm in the UK, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm of this, you know, I started here and I feel a great connection here. And I, I wish I could, I wish I could play there a lot, you know, Yes. A lot I mean, more were, every year. And were you aware of, you know, certain artists like the Alex Harvey band who, you know, and Alex had been around a lot in the sixties and he sort of performing various, you know, pub bands and rock bands, and and he was also in musicals as well. And I mean, he's he's one of those kind of legends, really, of Scotland. And then you know, obviously, you had other bands which were quite different, like ba the Bay City Rollers, who sort of took over. The, you know, not only Britain, but they toured the world quite a lot as well. And then oh, yeah. in the in the eighties, we had people like the you know Simple Minds and Skids, and yep. then a huge amount of indie bands from from Scotland as well. I mean, did Annie you Annie Lennox? 
And Ian Anderson actually is going to start it in Scotland. So there you go. Right. So were you aware of those kind of artists and that that kind of heritage in Scotland? Yeah, uh, some, some. Uh, like uh, obviously, Simple Minds, Annie Lennox. Remember, it's it, I would be very much exposed here to the the acts that had had international you know, record releases. Okay, mm -hmm. that's that's part of how. That's a different discussion, Dave. That, that's that's part of the the way the music industry was back then. As you know, the, the four major labels really were the gatekeepers of who got to hear what in what country, unless you were really in tune with the um, with the um, uh, independent or uh, what do they call it? The record stores back then. Uh, imports, the import yeah. section. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was like a whole section in a record store back then. Now it's so wide open that yeah, I discover people all the time, you know, from around the world. Um, but yeah, you, you just mentioned a bunch of names of people there that, that I have heard of and maybe heard one song or two and uh, was aware of it, but yeah. Because your, your early years, you were very much going towards the classical, you know, the classic cult, classical yeah. kind of music and concerts and, and, and that world. I mean, did you always have leanings to think, oh, actually, I quite like a bit of rock and roll occasionally? Well, <laughs> that's a good way. It's actually flip that equation around. I like a good bit of classical music equation uh, occasionally. No, I was a rock, you know, from the moment I heard the Beatles, you know, and all that. And that's part of what I'm referring to. I remember my mom and dad, you know, when they came on this big show here in America, there's a show called Ed Sullivan. When they were coming on, my mom and dad would say, oh, my mom, I remember my mom saying, you know, well, there's a there's a, a musical group from uh, from Liverpool. That's not far from Glasgow, and uh, you know we should see what they're like. And I remember when they came on, I was like, I guess. And I remember my dad going, he could, he couldn't get his head wrapped around. It. He's like, what what is this? <laughs> he, he later became a huge Beatle fan. But I remember that moment, and from that point on, I, I basically you know wanted a guitar. And then when I when I first heard Nikki Hopkins on, um, uh, on she, uh, she, She's a Rainbow, Rolling Stones song, the classical influence of his piano playing was obvious, and I wanted to start taking more, you know, lear learning the piano. But finally, you know, as you get a little bit older, when I was about 13, four, yeah, about 13, I heard Elton John and Rick Wakeman, the, the Six Wives of Henry VIII album, and that took me right down, and Keith Emerson, that took me right down the classical wanting to, you know, go to the Royal Conservatory, which is like the Royal Academy, and go through all of the classical music that these guys obviously had, were well-versed in, and, and, you know, and use that to influence the rock music that I, that I was doing. So probably a fairly common story amongst uh, keyboard yes. players of my well, it's, all, it's always interesting when you hear, you know, Rick Wakeman talking about his piano piece on life on Mars and sort of, you know, yeah. demonstrates how he used, you know, the, the, the little clever techniques that makes it such an iconic song, which is kind of oh, fascinating. Yeah. And then obviously, you, as you said, you know, he did Six Wives with Henry VIII and then yeah. Journey to the Center of the Earth. But my favorite was King Arthur. I thought that was just an amazing piece of great life. one. Yeah. Yeah. Great one as well. Yeah. Those, the, the obvious classical influences, but with, with that rock sensibility kind of, underpinning it all that that's that that's a whole movement in in, in music and really and so much of classic rock is based upon that you know what we call classic rock here and has, has become that i think and i think you can trace it right back to probably the first day when 
George Martin brought this the orchestra in to record on, uh, you know, probably on Eleanor Rigby or something like that. But from that point forward, it just began to have so much classical leanings that it's good if you if you're versed in that to some degree. Tony yes. Banks, you know, I don't know how deep he went into classical music, but I can hear that. It's so obvious all the way through. Um, just the, the the connections between various uh, composers of the past and what they do to music today. Yes, well, with um, one of those albums that I remember my brother buying, there was two he got quite early on, Sergeant Pepper, which I thought was like, wow, that's amazing. This is like 73, 74 he bought that. And there's also Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Elton John's. Yes. And I do yeah. remember the, the, you know, just it was four sides, a double album, and it just took ages to sort of, you know, digest it all. And there was a la the last track on side four, which was a track called Harmony. Harmony. And I thought it was har yeah. just the most beautiful, simple beautiful. songs. Harmony in me. Pretty good company. This is true. Fantastic. It yeah. is true. So being a young person with the piano, listening to those kind of albums must yeah. have a massive influence on you. It, it completely um, it's enveloped my whole existence, quite honestly. All, all, as you mentioning those things, yeah. Right from th that album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, oh, a fox just ran through my backyard. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> there goes the dog. Oh, it's Foxtrot. Um, <laughs> Yes, your so, very no, I, yeah, no, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was, that to me is a great roadmap on how to make a record that's got multiple influences, starting from Funeral for a Friend and the very classical kind of dramatic pathos that's in that all the way through to the whole, the whole trajectory of, of, of the arc of, of, of emotion that you follow through that record, ending with harmony. I think that's, that's just a form of entertainment that's endlessly unfolding. You, I, I still listen to the record today. In fact, here's, a, here's how fortunate I am with my time on Earth. I saw the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road Tour here in Toronto. And then just before the pandemic, I saw the Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I think I'm going to see Farewell One More Time, Yellow Brick Road, probably in about next year or so. That will be that will be fantastic. Now, having sort of interviewed a lot of bands over the years, mostly most outfits have a five-year narrative. They get together, they have that twelve-month right. honeymoon, lovely. Yeah. You know, the yeah. first single, then the first album. And you mentioned gatekeepers in this country. You know, we had various you know weekly music papers and various DJs, which made it slightly. I wouldn't say easier, but they were definitely like straightforward paths and then right. you know that that second and then the third album soft and a bit tricky but one thing that really catches a lot of bands out is is stamina and also thinking oh my god what do people what do the kids now want to listen to and we were perhaps we were on the zeitgeist then but that slightly shifted how do you manage to keep that because you were talking about being from canada which i believe is where heart comes from and they they release those classic albums which were, you know, almost cult status, I think. But then in yeah. the 80s, they managed to reinvent themselves a bit more and they become these massive stadium bands that you never would have seen from Dreamboat Annie. So I just wondered how you managed to sort of keep that going and thinking, yes, we are still, re you know, I'm still got it, I'm still relevant. Yeah, great question. Uh, some of it comes down to luck and some of it comes down to just uh, being aware that you have the something that worked today is not necessarily going to work tomorrow. Okay. So constantly being ready to um, acquire in my own life, I'll give you a perfect example in the eighties, being a keyboard player, it was a perfect time to make the kinds of records that I made as a solo artist. Um, 
my most successful one was made actually in England. It was actually made at, at, at Ringo Starr's home in, in uh, Ascot. It's called Tippinghurst Park. It's where John recorded Imagine. But that was an 80s sound. In the 90s, I realized a lot of that 80s sensibility is has completely had its day. And so I wound up deciding to write most of the songs I did in the 90s on acoustic guitar. So because of that, it just it just changed the, the, the tonality and the the intention behind the songs. And I had, you know, a couple of gold records here in Canada, as the gatekeepers would have it, uh, that, that were mainly um, acoustic guitar based records, but still with great musicianship on it. Robert Fripp was on a, one song on one of my records and uh, Jerry Murata and Tony Levin from uh, Peter Gabriel's band, and they they had moved with the times as well, and and really knew how to how to to make keep the things from the past that are necessary, but still try to try to be relevant to what people are listening to today. It's a tricky balancing act. And when I joined Sticks, I realized we're in an era now where people really just want to hear the past well represented and. They, they still want an exciting and vibrant show. And we want to keep making new records. So it's a tricky balancing act. And with Crash of the Crown, the new Sticks record, it's it's a balancing act that we are constantly have our eye on. Is, it, yes. is this relevant to today? And is it relevant to what the band's history is? That's a really, it's a, it's, it's a funny little highwire act. And it's around to tell you when you're painting too far out of the margin. Yes. And does and does it, you know, things, I mean, do you have to have that, you know, quite a sort of honest conversation saying, you know, the part, you know, a bit like a football team, you know, we might have been successful in the past, yeah. but that doesn't mean we're going to be successful next season and, and things have changed. That's and, right. And we've kind of, you know, as with football, even with football, <laughs> you know, most managers from Alex Ferguson, who was from Glasgow, I believe, you know, would often think we were quite lucky. We we did well, but you know, I could. He always focuses on where where they were a little bit weak for the next season. That's why he probably kept successful. Really. So, do you sort of have to think like, we if we're going to do this next album, which is going to take a certain amount of time, we're going to have to find that producer. We're going to have to really look at what we're doing again, just to sort of make sure we're not sort of just coasting it too much because it. Will yeah, just... absolutely. You, you you do think of that, and and you brought up a great phrase there. You have to have an honest conversation sometimes too honest <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to is, is you really have to kind of in the great thing about being in a band at this point in our lives we're not in our 20s so so every little fight doesn't mean that, that we're going to uh, that's going to implode the entire relationship we're, we're able to kind of um separate our our musical egos from our our actual relationship as as, as regular old human beings and it's 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 something you learn to navigate over the years. So we we have lots of internal disagreements and um, negotiations between where the music should actually be, and ultimately that leads to a better place if you're willing to go through that, to push through that, and not just tear up the whole um, relationship and end the band. Then you're probably gonna it's gonna get you somewhere good. But the, yes. but the brutal honesty is is kind of a necessary ingredient. Oh, that's interesting, because I know that I was watching one of those documentaries when the police reformed, and I think everyone was loving it because it was so successful financially. But two yeah. members of the band weren't having a good time, Stuart and Steve, no. and they had to have band therapy. And, and it's like they, you know, they, they then got the rest of the tour done and it was like, that was a relief. 
because it could have just finished quite quickly. I mean, have you almost had to have band therapy to say, right, let's, we need to sit down? Not since I've been in the band. They went through a, uh, the, their big cataclysmic shift was when they brought me into the band. And that's 22 years ago now. So they, you know, at some point the, the, the therapist has to maybe just go, you know, perhaps, perhaps you guys would be better off going in, in, your, in your own directions. And they had gone through that. They'd had that therapy, <laughs> and I guess I was part of the um, part of the remedy at that point, I suppose, uh, if you want to put that in those terms. But anyway, it's it's led to this album, David. I would I would talk to you about this stuff all day, but I got to get onto this next. Uh, this yes. Next well, about. look, it's been amazing, and thank you ever so much. I've loved listening to the new single all morning. So, but look. Hopefully, have a great time in Vegas and yeah. hopefully, best of luck for the future. But look, take care. Thanks a lot, David. Lovely to talk to you. All the best. And I, I look forward to seeing you in the UK one of these days. Take care. Yeah, bye bye. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye now. And that, dear listener, is how you end a conversation with real gusto, or you don't use a babble. I'm English. I get very apologetic and start sentences with the word sorry for some random reason. Anyway, look, that, that's it. That was Lawrence Gowin talking about Sticks with their new album, which is titled Crash of the Crown. I do believe that's coming out very soon. And they've got a single and, like I said, live dates. So find them on social media and their website. It's all good. You can, yes, it's sticksworld.com and also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on YouTube. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do C86 Show. Also, yeah, make it positive or or don't bother. Just have, have nice thoughts or just delete them. And um, I've been doing these interviews for a long time. So you can listen to those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week and stay safe.